we had the good fortune of having kind of watching over us um, former members of the 10th Mountain Division who were on the ski patrol. Now, they weren't all uh, 10th Mountain people, but quite a few of them were. Kids being kids, we would often uh, push the limits and uh, we would see those gentlemen, um, you know, watching over us, keeping an eye on us. Um, when we sort of stretched the boundaries, they reeled us in pretty quickly. They were all great skiers and uh, they wanted us uh, to become good skiers. So they, um, they gave us some rope, but they also kept an eye on us. And uh, uh, I often feel when we're working on Dutch Hill or we're thinking about a project, I, I can still in my mind's eye envision them. They're still keeping a watchful eye on what's happening at Dutch Hill. And uh, you know, it's with gratitude that um, they created that that mountain to ski on in in, uh, in the 1940s and gave us something to work with today. So we're we're uh, I, I'm continually grateful for for that guidance early on and still today. I see the sunrise creeping in. Everything changes like the desert wind Here she comes and then she's gone again And I'm just a traveler on this earth Showing my heart behind the pocket of my shirt I just keep rolling till I'm in there Cause I'm a traveler Powderhounds, and welcome to the Powderhounds Podcast, a podcast about just having fun skiing and riding. I'm your host, Jeff Shaw. It is Wednesday, November 26th, 2020. For those new to the podcast, you will hear stories from the slopes, opry laughs, and fun ski trivia games. This episode will feature a roundtable discussion with Bill Beatty, Tom Boudreau, and Jim Moulton who, along with others, lead the Dutch Hill Association of Skiers and Hikers, otherwise known as DASH for short, which is a nonprofit organization and chapter of the Catamount Trail Association. For 40 years, Dutch Hill operated as a commercial ski area in southern Vermont, initially under the watchful eye of former members of the 10th Mountain Division of the U.S. military, serving as volunteer ski patrol. Today... The ski area is a human-powered backcountry gem. This episode will also include familiar, I'll be shorter, segments, an outdoor state of mind, ski news of the week-ish, and a rapid-fire ski trivia game. That Traveler intro tune was brought to you by Chris Stapleton. Like Chris's signature tune, listeners will do some traveling too. Through history of the ski area, deep powder of the snow belt, 
and miles and miles of backcountry lines. So sit back, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding. Powderhounds. We will begin the episode with a familiar segment, an outdoor state of mind. Topic, my last four days outside. (laughs) It started with a hike. I spent a good chunk of the afternoon with former podcast guest Kyle and Leah of the Stowe, Vermont episode, along with wife Ellen and son Jay on a mellow trail along the Matacomet Blue Blaze Trail. The short hike from Marion Wilcox Park to the Stone Fireplace was uncrowded and well-marked. After arriving at the fireplace and looking around for a bit, we wondered about the people who built the cabin, both long gone, in this really inaccessible and remote part of the forest. Then it became clear. The sun popped out from behind puffy clouds, illuminating the green and brown valley below. Just a stunning and surprising sight. The following day, I joined my buddy John at former Buena Vista Ski Area, now a nine-hole executive-style golf course for a quick round. Now, ever since I learned this course was a former three-trail ski area from the 1940s to 1970s, I just keep getting distracted trying to figure out where the old lines are. (laughs) The next day, I hopped on the good old-fashioned Trek 8000 and pedaled around to yet another newly discovered, for me at least, trail network along the border of Farmington and West Hartford the Holy Family Retreat and Conference Center grounds are open to the public during daylight hours. Another diamond in the rough. And finally, yesterday was an early, and I mean early, morning run, purposefully ending at the top of Selden Hill to watch the sunrise. I was tired. It was dark. It was cold. It was spectacular. I can't wait to ski this season. Moving on to our next segment, Ski news of the week-ish. I'll actually start with old news, but now it's official. The parent company of Powder Magazine ceased operations of the magazine indefinitely. The issue was first published in 1973 from Sun Valley, Idaho, originally referred to as a celebration of powder skiing. Sierra Schaefer, editor of Powder, wrote a final note to followers entitled Powder for the People. In it, she writes, quote, There is, of course, absolutely no freedom like skiing powder. It propels you into a weightless existence in a world that feels increasingly heavy. It is the only act I know of that can pull you out of your brain and into your soul, where you are reminded that the only moment in which you can be alive is the present moment. Forget the rest. End quote. Nailed it, Sierra. And your timing, bittersweet as it is, Could not be better, as a baker's dozen worth of opening days are lined up this week. Maybe there will even be some powder. Opening days coming up, November 23rd, Sunday River, Maine. November 25th, Mount Snow, Okemo, Stowe, Vermont. 
November 26th, Stratton, Vermont. November 27th, Bromley, Jay, Smuggler's Notch, Vermont. Cannon, New Hampshire. November 30th, Sugarbush, Vermont. December 5th, Gunstock, Pat's Peak, New Hampshire. December 12th, Mad River Glen, Magic Mountain, and others have plans to open notes on their websites. You heard it over and over again, but it bears repeating. No before you go. Give those fine folks at the ski area you're headed to a call so you know what to expect and have a safe and enjoyable experience. Moving on to our featured segment, Winter is Coming. Topic, Dash to Dutch Hill. You probably understand the wordplay by now. (laughs) As you probably noticed over the last few episodes, I'm just a tad bit interested in small ski areas. That authentic, often low-key vibe and community-driven spirit is inviting. Presumably, less crowds is also attractive these days. It's been easy to get swept up in the cheap Mega Pass products loaded with destination resorts and overlook the hills that got many of us started and hatched our passion for the sport. Indeed, countless local or community hills were populated with skiers long before the resorts you know by heart, Jimmy Buffett world wordplay, were developed. According to the New England Lost Ski Area Project, over 600 lost ski areas are located in New England alone. Many of these local hills, like Dutch Hill, located in southern Vermont, long faded from commercial operations, yet found new life as backcountry gems, offering a completely different downhill experience. Dutch Hill may be an ideal option for backcountry beginners that have gear and follow directions. While there are no guides or gear rentals on site, the uphill trail is clearly marked, as are the downhill options from the summit, thanks to signage and an updated trail map on the website. While you will certainly earn your turns, you may also find yourself overwhelmed with appreciation and gratitude for the skiers, volunteers, and visionaries that came before. They took a chance on a growing but not yet popular sport, built rope toes, cut trails, taught technique, eventually providing economic opportunity and, of course, recreation. Local hills are a point of pride for their communities. It's inspiring to see and hear examples of preserving these areas, even on the smallest of scales. Today, the Dutch Hill Ski Area continues to be enjoyed by outdoor adventurists thanks to Bill Beatty and his racing family roots, Tom Boudreau, a teacher known for bringing classes of local kids to Dutch Hill for early turns, and Jim Moulton, involved in multiple backcountry projects and groups, and so many other people investing time, energy, and money into keeping this ski area accessible to all. So buy a membership in the Catamount Trail Association and join Dash. Sign up for a trail workday. Grab a few friends and consider a backcountry adventure. You may even be able to buy one of those amazing Dutch Hill original logo t-shirts Tom surprised us with at the end of the interview. Quick producer's note, there's a little static at the beginning of the interview, but it fades shortly, so hang in there, friends. Finally, a special thank you to Diana Todd, vice president of Dash, who connected me to my guests and these backcountry lines. Enjoy. I'm excited to introduce three guests on today's episode. First up is Bill Beatty, the president and co-founder of Dash. Bill was the driving force behind the collaboration between Dutch Hill Association of Skiers and Hikers, otherwise known as Dash, 
and the U.S. Forest Service in planning and executing the reopening of the slopes at Dutch Hill, as well as recent on-mountain clearing. Bill, welcome to the welcome back to the show. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, thanks for inviting us. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's start with a quick uh, information on uh, your background. Where are you from? How long have you and how long have you been skiing? Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm from North Adams, uh, Massachusetts, um, and currently live in Clarksburg, which is uh, about three miles from North Adams. Um, I've been skiing since I was four years old. Um, uh, so uh, I'm, as you can tell by my gray beard, um, I'm just a little bit north of 40 years old. Actually, I'm, <laughs> I'm 72, so uh, I've been skiing a while. Not a day past 40 for my, uh, my, my <laughs> now, um, how long have you been involved with Dutch Hill and or Dash? Okay. Uh, d um, I've been involved since about, uh, 2016, uh, with, with the formation of Dash, um, uh, Dutch Hill. Uh, of course I skied there when I was a kid. So, um, uh, once I heard that, there was some movement towards creating a, 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 an, a, a group to um, bring uh, backcountry skiing to Dutch Hill, I became interested. Um, so I, that was uh, about 2016 was when I got started to get involved. Now outside of Dutch Hill, what would be your favorite regional mountain or even destination ski area if you had to pick one? Well, I have have quite a few. I spent quite a bit of time up in uh, uh, the Mad River Valley, so I have uh, um, I lived up there for a few years and uh, worked at Mad River and uh, well, what is Sugarbush North now was Glen Ellen when I worked there back in the seventies. So um, I love going to that valley to ski, but uh, I like Wildcat, New Hampshire. Uh, there's there's just a lot of them, but. Uh, I guess if I had to pick, I would say uh, the Mad River Valley feels like a second home to me. I know how you feel, even though uh, I don't live in the state. So yeah. uh, <laughs> great, great, great. All right, next up, thank you again for sharing just a little bit about yourself. And we're definitely going to pull some of that knowledge uh, as we go along uh, and that experience to draw from. So thank you. Uh, next up is uh, Tom Boudreau, the uh, DASH secretary, and uh, who actually is local historian, as I understand it, grew up skiing at Dutch Hill, and um, we'll be able to uh, speak a little bit to Dutch Hill's new life under DASH. But first, uh, Tom, uh, where are you from? And um, how long have you been, uh, again, involved in uh, DASH and Dutch Hill? Okay, well, I'm also a native of North Adams. Uh, Bill and I actually grew up in the same section of town. Uh, we went to different high schools. And nowadays, I'm located in Reedsboro, uh, about 17 miles from, from the center of North Adams. I started skiing a little later than Bill, about when I was about 12 years old. Uh, my brother, who was much older, got me going, and I followed her areas in the area. It's, it's kind of like a, um, a tour of the ski areas of Berkshire County. Um, I, I started skiing up at Petersburg Pass, moved over to Prospect Mountain, uh, Brody Mountain, and Peak. Mm -hmm. 
So nowadays, um, I don't do as much skiing as I'd like. Mm -hmm. um, I ski mostly down at Jiminy Peak because my son is the uh, manager of the ski shop over there. Oh, okay. Great. So I ski a lot over there with my kids. As far as Dash goes, it was Bill who made the phone call and um, enticed me to uh, become a, a member. Um, I think he, I think he needed somebody um, local in, in Reedsboro who knew the area and the uh, community to get this thing going. So that's how I got involved. Great. Thank you so much for sharing. And uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll say your regional favorite mountain is uh, Jiminy Peak. Uh, last up, but certainly not least, is uh, Jim Moulton. He's an avid backcountry skier and was involved in the work, or is being done, involved in the work being done on Thunderbolt Run on Mount Greylock. Uh, Jim is also on the executive committee of DASH. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Same questions to you. <laughs> Hopefully you know them by now. Where are you from? How long have you been... Uh, skiing, backcountry, or otherwise, and uh, how long you've been involved with Dash and Dutch Hill? I've been skiing for about 32 years. Um, I'm 36 years old, and uh, yeah, I started when I was four years old, and I've been involved in backcountry skiing in the valley for probably the last, I would say, about 12 years. Um, maybe a little bit longer, uh, but mostly you know, the last 10, 12 years, it's been um, skiing different mountains throughout the valley. And um, yeah, we, we formed quite a little backcountry area here in the upper Berkshire County, southern Vermont. And uh, I've been in, involved with DASH for probably three years. Um, Bill kind of sought me out. And um, one, I thank him for that. And two, uh, you know, me personally with the DASH organization is uh, just with my backcountry knowledge uh, in the area. And I kind of take a back seat to these guys um, because they know so much about the mountain. They know what the mountain was um, and basically recreating it into a backcountry ski area. So I just sit back and I follow Bill's lead and um, one day just kind of continue on the history and the, you know, the legacy of Dutch Hill and, we're definitely going to draw upon your knowledge of the backcountry and uh, some of the uh, Catamount Trail Association uh, tie-ins and uh, the Mount Greylock work too. So uh, we'll be hearing from you too and uh, moving you to the center stage here. Um, but again, thank you uh, all three of you for sharing a little bit about your background, where you're from, and your experience uh, with Dutch Hill and Dash. We're going to uh, shift a little bit into painting a picture of the ski area. Um, and this is just the quick uh, mountain stats rundown. Uh, hopefully I'm going to get most of it right, but we'll certainly defer to any corrections. The Dutch Hill is located in Hartswellville of uh, Reedsboro, Vermont, and that's a village of, of Reedsboro. It's in southern Vermont, actually about five miles from the Massachusetts border, 30 miles west of Brattleboro, and 20 miles southeast of Bennington. Uh, Mountain Statistics specifically, it opened in 1944 and and closed in 1985 as a commercial ski area. However, as we're talking about today, the area remains open for whatever type of human-powered sliding you love. Uh, and that's a quote on the Dash website. <laughs> Hopefully you don't mind me using it. Um, I believe I saw elevation 
2,470 feet, vertical 550 feet. Originally, 46 acres were purchased to start the ski area, but it has evolved to 380 skiable acres. Uh, I think that's a part of the, the, the network, a part of the, 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 the Dutch Hill uh, footprint with uh, eight trails. About half, half are maintained now for backcountry skiing. And it originally had three lifts, a, a T-bar, J-bar, rope toe, now again, human powered, and they're sledding on Dutch Meadows Trail. So that's a quick rundown. Did I get that right, gentlemen? You did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, well, with that said, I'm gonna probably ask uh, Tom to comment in a second. Um, the early history of the ski area. Now I pulled together just some quick bullet points from the DASH website, as well as the New England Lost Ski Area Project. According to both sources, founded in 1943 by Webster Ottman and several partners, Dutch Hill was one of Vermont's earliest ski areas, thriving from the 1940s to about 1960s. It was well-liked, medium-sized, and had lift-served operations for, again, 40 years. Located in the quote-unquote snow belt, it averaged about 100 inches of snow per year at its peak and operated between 90 and 100, 120 days as it faced north-northwest. At its peak, it had a 570-foot vertical T-bar, J-bar, rope toe, serving those eight or so trails. And its fate was not unique like many smaller hills when larger ski areas began to dominate the ski business, interest faded and it became harder and harder to keep it operational. Um, Tom, I think I'm gonna kick this over for you, the first question. Um, that brief overview probably doesn't even scratch the surface, but can you talk a little bit about the history of the ski area and what it was like in those earlier days and how it has evolved at least uh, over that um, you know, 40, 50 year run? Well, I guess you get the um, main points. Um, it opened in December 1944, actually, um, with a 1,000-foot <clears throat> rope tow, which uh, took skiers up to what is known as the Dutch, the old Dutch Hill Road. Um, led to a, a settlement at the top of the mountain, which is how Dutch got its name. Uh, there were, in the, in the late 1800s, a small community of Dutch settlers who uh, lived at the top of the mountain, and um, they moved there to avoid it at the lower levels. So that was the first, um, the first lift there. The following year, the rope tow was extended another 150 feet. And um, actually, I'm sorry, it was extended 300 feet. Um, and let's see. So the rope tow ran one year. 1946-47 was a landmark year where they, as soon as the war was over, built a T-bar uh, to the, about 2,000 feet to the top um, and opened up a lot more stable terrain. Uh, through the years, um, now that each of the trails were very, they were very narrow at the beginning, full of rocks and stumps, uh, probably only about 20 to 30 feet wide. And then through the years, the stumps and rocks were removed, trails were smoothed out and, and widened and got us to um, 
what became the chill that we grew up with. Did want to pick up on a couple couple points, and I think uh, Bill, actually, uh, you alluded to this uh, when we spoke earlier, but the roots of Dutch Hill are actually embedded in North Adams, Massachusetts, uh, the ski club that, as I understand, uh, tended to ski in the Berkshires, but were looking for uh, a, their own area to, you know, to, to develop the ski club um, and further interest in skiing. So I guess the, the border, even though it's very important in the day we're living in now, state lines, uh, at the time, it was just, you know, space and um, a, a place for development of that, uh, of that vision. Sure. Uh, back in the 30s, when skiing really became more recreational in, in the Berkshires, at least in North Adams, um, the members of the North Adams Club ski, they, they would go anywhere there was an open slope, basically. And then as the 30s went on, T-bars were erected on almost any open slope in the area. There were T-bars, or not, I'm sorry, not T-bars, Rotos, set up on farmlands all through the area. Um, and so Webb and a lot of people from the North Adams area skied on some of the hills in the Hartwellville, Reedsboro, Searsburg area for years. And so Webb, they were very familiar with the Dutch Hill area. So they, they began looking in the late 30s for a place, a new home base for the North Adams ski. They found this place. Gotcha. They found Dutch Hill, and they bought the acreage and began firing it out. Well, that's uh, it, it's just very cool that to hear that you know just maybe not surprising given the time and the circumstances, but a group of people came together and said, "Hey, you know, we're looking to have a place to recreate, to expand our love of this sport." And now, all these years later, seven years later, maybe uh, this group Dash is sort of doing the same thing, just maybe leaving the lifts aside and it's a human powered, um, you know, uh, vision and experience. So I want to bring in a bill a little bit, just to talk about maybe the period from when the commercial ski area closed in 1985 towards uh, when Dash was formed and perhaps uh, what went into that? What was, I guess, the ski area like for those maybe 20, is about 20 years, maybe even more, where um, it was just maybe left um, abandoned or, or whatever to now and maybe the, the formation of the group uh, of Dash. Uh, talk a little bit about that time in Gary's history, if you can. Sure. Um, uh, in, when it closed in 1985 and uh, the immediate years following the closure, um, a lot of people, including myself, uh, though we were skiing at other areas like Mount Snow or uh, within the region, Jiminy Peak, um, Brody Mountain, those areas, uh, uh, we'd often go up to Dutch Hill on cross-country skis and, and uh, ski around up there. Um, uh, Telmark skiing was starting to come in in the 80s, and, and so a lot of us were on Telmark gear. Um, and the trails, of course, were, you know, they were not grown in yet. They were, they were still fairly open. Uh, but as time went by, uh, uh, what was a three-foot sapling one year was, became a six-foot 
uh, or an eight foot small tree in a few years. And the next thing you know, it was, it was getting pretty grown in. Um, so early on, people were using it for just as we're using it now for backcountry skiing. Um, but it, it, uh, it, it quickly got overgrown and uh, um, was not used uh, in, as far as human powered skiing to any great degree. I'm sure that people still went up to the top occasionally. Um, but um, by the time um, the early, uh, well, around 2013, um, uh, 2013, 2014, Rasta, which is the Rochester Area Sports Trails Alliance, uh, up just south of the Sugarbush area, uh, <clears throat> they formed, a, you know, a group uh, and they worked with the Forest Service in working on um, creating backcountry ski lines on public and private lands. And um, they kind of became the model uh, for um, these backcountry chapters, uh, which we are affiliated with the Catamount Trail Association. Um, they became the first chapter uh, of backcountry skiing uh, uh, aligned with the Catamount Trail. And then there was another one up in the Northeast Kingdom. We, uh, we became the third one. And now there's uh, another four or five of them being developed in the state. And I think it really sprang, um, it sprang from uh, more and more people starting to go into the back country. Um, some people um, cutting lines without authorization. Um, and the realization that, um, you know, the Green Mountain National Forest in the state of Vermont felt that, you know, this needs to be managed and, uh, and, and um, you know, not, you know, so that there's some oversight on it. And, uh, and, and so that's how, um, you know, in, in one way, the state of Vermont, the Green Mountain National Forest, um, and Catamount Trail Association started to come up with these um, plans and these chapters were started to be created and and, it, and Rasta was very successful and uh, became quite a model for for all the rest of us so uh, our hats are always off to for to the Rasta organization for leading the way um, and uh, that's and you know so the 2013-14 that started and then uh, in October of, of uh, 2014 uh, the Green Mountain National Forest uh, released a scoping document for the south of Route 9 integrated resource project and integrated project meant uh, overlapping interests for those areas that, the, that the, uh, were part of the National Forest one being forestry and, and uh, another being wildlife management and the third element being recreational usage. And um, they, um, you know, they put out a, a call for a public comment and uh, we were very fortunate. Uh, Jeff Nugent, who is a member of our, uh, our organization uh, was on top of things and he submitted uh, the concept of uh, <clears throat> uh, developing Dutch Hill and managing it as a backcountry ski area. So that was the, the root, Jeff was the, the root of 
the whole Dutch Hill project, and that was back in November of 2014. Um, I don't know if that answers that. I can go into further detail about the uh, creation of, uh, you know, that was just the concept. We, for us to become an organization, a lot of things had to happen. A lot of meetings had to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to become a chapter of the, of, uh, the Catamount Trail Association. That was required by the Forest Service. They wanted to have a nonprofit that was uh, the umbrella organization. So, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's really helpful, and and, and I'm glad you you made that point. And uh, perhaps um, you know Jim can 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 hop in, and then sort of the next question. So the Catamount Trail Association, uh, for those that don't know, it's a network of I think. Presume originally at least cross-country ski uh, trails, but it has since evolved. Hikers use it in the summer and spring and fall, and, and certainly there's there's uh, some downhill or alpine skiing capacity to it. But it actually runs. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the state through the state of Vermont, even though there are intersections with the Long Trail, which is a different trail network, uh, there are uh, land that is not part of the uh, U.S. Forest Service is privately owned, so there needs to be some um, uh, you know, agreement with the landowners to maybe use it, but it is this backcountry network that certainly is um, sort of um, has, has exploded pr presumably with, with in popularity as folks are, are looking to perhaps um, get into the backcountry and, 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 you know, uh, you know get, it, get away from crowds and just maybe have a different experience to their you know, winter recreation. Um, so again, as I understand, I don't want too much more uh, talking, but uh, you have to be, for someone to join DASH, you first need to join the Catamount Trail Association, the sort of the mothership uh, nonprofit that I think has a very small staff that manages, um, you know, the, the network and, and some of the partnerships and relationships, the legal matters. And then you choose to be affiliated with a chapter. In this case, you would join Dash. And then, as I understand it, uh, your dues would go directly to 30% uh, of your dues go towards the Dash, the local chapter Dash. And then the other goes to the Catamount Trail Association. So that, again, some of that back office or um, you know, some of that work, you know, uh, moving out trails and uh, perhaps uh, some of the legal documentation um, can happen maybe in the background. So um, I guess my question maybe Jim or anyone could take it, but um, who do you find is, is the most, I guess the most common backcountry recreational person to find on the, on, at Dutch Hill, if not the Catamount Trail Association? Is it the snowshoer? Is it the cross-country skier? You know, is it uh, someone with a split board that's looking to, uh, you know, make a few downhill turns? Just, just paint a little bit more picture about who are we seeing out there maybe now? I think we're seeing, um, we're seeing everybody out there. We're, we're seeing hikers. Um, we're seeing snowshoers. We're seeing, I would say mostly it's the backcountry skiers and split boarders. Um, for the most part, I think um, it's more catered towards uh, snowshoeing, um, backcountry skiing, split boarding. But I think like one of Bill's projects that we had worked on this year was one of the um, uh, one of the trails is called the is the Dyke, and it's 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 like your green circle trail. Um, 
and what we had wanted to do and what Bill had suggested us to do was open up the dike to its original limits to allow the cross-country skier to be able to, um, just to be able to ski. So that was one of our goals this year is to open up the dike and get more cross-country ski folks onto the Dutch Hill premises. And um, yeah, and, and over the years, it's become quite a bit more popular. Um, I, yeah, I think, you know, a few years ago, you would cross paths with only a handful of people at most, but on a good day up there now, um, the parking lot for what we have plowed is, is full. I mean, you're constantly crossing paths with people. Um, and I mean, on a good day, you get 20 to 40 skiers up there. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess with that, uh, not to, um, I, I don't want to gloss over the, the, the mothership, the, the Catamount Trail Association. Uh, Part of the, as I understand it, some of the uh, the membership uh, benefit. The part of the membership is that uh, some of the money that they get goes back to investing in the equipment, the time, sure. resources to, like you said, in this instance, presumably uh, work on the dike trail. And there's obviously the other uh, chapters have their own projects. Um, what, I suppose, maybe that's that's the answer to the question in terms of. Um, you know, what investments have uh, you made recently? It sounds again like the Dyke Trail is is one of them. But um, are there any are there other things that you are currently working on in, in terms of? Uh, yeah. Um, so typically in the years past, um, what Dutch has done is um, we've kind of recreated the old trail system. Um, this year with the COVID, it's been a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, in the years past, we were able to put together volunteer work parties, um, which could be in the range, I mean, anywhere up to 20 people. And um, this year we kept it real small, you know, two, three people, uh, multiple sessions. And we didn't take on any new projects this year. Our, our whole goal was, was just to kind of manicure and clean what we have and what's existing and, and what uh, Bill and his team has, you know, created in the last few years. Um, and also another thing is when you, uh, the importance of joining uh, the local ski organizations, you can go to dashforvt.org, um, very simple website, and you can join Dash. And, and one of the things that, that, that I try to tell people is if you're not able to make a trail day, if you're not able to volunteer your hours, um, that little bit of money goes a long way. For instance, this year, um, we bought two trimmers uh, with blades. Uh, we've also bought a silky pole saw. Um, so each time that we were able to go up on the mountain, we had equipment for Dash that Dash provided. and. Um, we were able to get a lot of work done, a lot of work. So I think, you know, more memberships um, would give us the opportunity that when we do have a trail day next year, when hopefully next year, when this passes, is that when you show up that we can, we can give somebody a tool. We can put a tool in somebody's hand. Uh, they're not using their own tool. And also, um, They've also developed a good uh, relationship with, you know, some of the local people and uh, plowing. 
you know, we're right at the top of we, the snow belt. We're, it's at 1,900 feet for the base elevation. So there's always a little bit of snow. And last year, um, Bill and the, and the organization had set up parking spaces to be plowed. Because once you get off 100 and you go to the Dutch Hill parking area, it was difficult to get in and out. And if you got there on a snowstorm, there was a good chance that you would get stuck. So um, that's another, when you donate to, to, to Dash and you become a member, um, it goes toward the plowing. And this year we expect probably double the amount of people. Um, so we'll probably have to spend a little bit more money with the plowing, but but the tools are important and the and we're also there's other there's future projects like the um the base is very wet and uh it'll probably go toward lumber to build um i wouldn't want to call it a bridge uh, but we'll we'll build something along the lines to to keep people you know keep people out of the the muck in the water at the base um so the, the money goes a long way and, and these guys can, can touch in on that as well. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, that, that's great. Uh, you covered a lot there, which is great. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that you know, there's a lot of collaboration. You have the, uh, you know, the TTA, you have members that are uh, either organized or deployed to do, at least right now, smaller projects, you know, just limited men and people. And hopefully I'll get back to a more robust um, program next year uh, but uh, there's also you know landowners uh, I guess maybe that's more the the, the um, larger trail networks but there's also the US Forest Service I think Bill touched upon that too um, what's your relationship been like with them um, again I, I understand that um, or maybe I don't are, are there limitations to what you can do on Dutch Hill or is it more of Dash wants to has a vision and it's Right now it's executing it, you know, it's human powered. Um, but what exactly are maybe is the, um, the, uh, abil um, the flexibility or the, uh, the ability to, um, you know, create whatever the Dash wants to create at Dutch Hill. And again, I know that your vision and the, the group is beyond just the Dutch Hill area, but at least in this instance, um, you know, how much flexibility freedom do you have to um, really make it your own or is it really just a question of resources I, I can speak to that a little bit Jeff um, uh, our relationship with the uh, Forest Service um, has been a very positive one uh, obviously um, there's there's a learning curve <clears throat> involved in, in dealing with um, uh, an organization as large uh, as the U.S. Forest Service, but uh, uh, we we deal mo directly, obviously, with the um, uh, Southern District uh, of the Green Mountain National Forest, and their their offices in uh, Manchester, Vermont, and uh, you know, there's um, uh, in within their office, there's a biologist, there's uh, a recreational specialist, there's uh, forestry specialists and again uh, going back to the integrated project there are three separate goals for the Dutch Hill property there's forestry management there's wildlife management and then there's the recreational component so um, 
it isn't just whatever Dash would like to do as far as skiing goes. We have to uh, sit with those other organizations and uh, the other entities and discuss what the, the game plan is for forestry management, what the game plan is for wildlife management, and we need to dovetail together um, what our desires are with what their desires are for that sometimes the same exact property. So there's uh, every year we go, uh, well, we'll have phone conversations. I'll have phone conversations with uh, uh, the recreational uh, manager is the person I deal with most directly, but I also deal with um, the, the biologist as well, because a lot of the trails that we're opening fall within a wildlife zone. So, you know, it, it, it gets, um, it gets, uh, you know, I don't want to say complex, but there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that uh, are really important. And the, the, the overall uh, upshot of it is that, you know, we've learned a lot. I mean, it's not just um, creating ski lines. Uh, it's nice to be know, to know that we're doing things for wildlife mutually beneficial things like we're we're um uh to aid the uh, biologist we're we we um brush hog the the meadows trail which had blueberry bushes that had become so long and lanky that they were no longer producing blueberries and we cut that every three years and um it's not su superb skiing terrain for expert skiers but it's great wildlife terrain and it also opens it up for sledding for the kids for the local area so it's fairly shallow pitch but we uh we just uh brush hogged it again this year and the blueberries are coming back prolifically and uh uh we've seen signs of bears you know what they leave behind uh you know uh, bears have been there we're seeing a lot of different wildlife uh, you know, eating the blueberries and and uh, um, and so it's it's those kind of cooperations that that take place. Now, once a year, uh, we we come up with a document, an, uh, uh, an operational and management plan for the for the next year uh, as to what we're proposing that we do, and then we have a series of meetings with the Forest Service, and that is usually Diana Todd. Uh, Jeff Nugent and Sam Bartlett and myself. Um, this year we'd like to bring Jim along and uh, a few other uh, of the younger folks so that they get an understanding of what our interaction is with the Forest Service, what the personalities are, and uh, um, because eventually they're going to be taking over the, the whole ball of wax. Um, uh, so so once a year we do that, um, and uh, the Forest Service reviews it. We'll maybe do an on-site walk, um, and then they'll give us uh, approval or, or uh, you know, ask us to maybe kick that can down the road, wait a few years for that for that project. That you know, I mean, the, we'll have multiple trail projects we may want to work on. You know, so it's a give and take, and uh, we come up with a plan, and it becomes a document, and that becomes. Uh, uh, what we create our work plan for for the 
for the fall, for the fall work. No, that's great. And I do want to shift into the winter season in a moment, but I want to direct one more question before I do that to Tom. Um, it's funny, before we started recording, or, uh, uh, Tom was asking uh, Jim about the blueberry, uh, the blueberry, <laughs> the blueberries on the top of the mountain earlier. So that's, um, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, but I'm also curious over the last, I guess before the winter season, the last uh, eight months or so, uh, Tom as the you know, de facto resident uh, to Dutch Hill, did you notice an increase in traffic or people um, you know, hiking, exploring the, the area over the last, um, again, in the, during the summer season, even in the fall. Um, and again, as Bill was just talking about, you know, sort of that, um, you know, while it's a place to recreate also the, the wildlife, um, you know, the protection and, um, uh, you know, folks sort of enjoying just the natural aspects, even if uh, maybe the recreation is a secondary, um, pursuit. Uh, was there an influx of, of people visiting the area over the summer? Um, and, um, you know, did you notice any, any, uh, I guess, renewed excitement in the area or uh, just uh, folks exploring? I think, I think early on, there was, there was a, an increase in the excitement. I had um, received inquiries from several local hiking groups about you know, what we were doing up on the mountain and was it okay for them to, to get up and, and, um, explore. Um, but it's kind of leveled off. Uh, and I think more, it, it's steady. It's not great. It's not, you know, over, overdoing it, but it's, it's a steady. I go by Dutch Hill in order to get to North Adams from my house in North Adams you know, two, three times a week, even now. And, you know, there are cars there and people are exploring the mountain, uh, hikers and, and whatnot. But also, um, wintertime, it's, it's amazing. Like the last two years have really been steady, very steady. I, I don't think there's a time that I go by Dutch Hill where there aren't cars there in the winter. Wow. Well, let's let's go right into it because it's uh, it's just a few days, if not uh, weeks, if not days away, the winter season. Um, so, uh, of course, everything that we're going to talk about is all predicated on on you know, travel advisories. That is due to the pandemic. So uh, take that with a grain of salt. Um, obviously, follow you know my my stance is to follow the you know the the recommendations so that we uh, we remain as safe as possible so that we can have a winter season even if it is is different or limited. Um, but as I understand it, the recreation opportunities at Dutch Hill are are fairly um, endless. You got snowshoeing, cross country skiing, backcountry skiing, sledding. I believe there's even a snowmobile trail cuts through the hill. And um, there's even in non-pandemic um, times, you also offer uh, free guided tours of Dutch Hill and Grout Pond that won't hap be happening this year, but um, has happened in the past. So I guess the first question is uh, for someone that's going to be visiting, that wants to visit Dutch Hill for the first time, what do they need to know before going? And any op open to anybody whoever wants to jump in, or you can all take a shot at the question. I think I would uh, say, go ahead. Uh, uh, the first thing they probably should do if they've never been there before and they're and they're going to be with someone who 
has also never been there before, uh, to at least go on the website and download the map. Um, that way they can get orientated uh, as to where they are on the, on the hill. Um, uh, the other thing that they should be aware of is that self-service is very sketchy at Dutch Hill. And um, I would advise no one to really go alone at, uh, and, and ski alone there. I mean, some of us, we have. Um, I, if I happen to be up there alone, I am not going to ski a, a risky descent. I'm going to be very careful. Um, you know, it's it, it just, if cell phone service is sketchy and you get any kind of injury, um, you could have a problem getting out of the woods. So um, download a map and have a plan and ski with other people. Uh, I would say um, two, uh, two at least, preferably three. So um, that would be my advice for first time people at Dutch Hill. Yeah, we were looking at the map. Uh, Jim uh, pulled it up before. Just, uh, it's really well marked. You know, there's a one uh, route, uphill route, and then uh, the open trails are, are at least fairly well, well marked. But certainly, if, if, you know, if you know the area, you might be more familiar with um, some of the other terrain that's maybe not as wide open and maintained. But um, Jim, uh, Tom, anything else to add for folks looking to, uh, to check it out yeah. this season or next season? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like Bill, like Bill had mentioned, is download a map. Um, I think the first thing I would do is there's a kiosk at the bottom. If you didn't download the map, take a photo of it with your phone. Um, then also put your phone, turn the mobile data off, put it in airplane mode, um, because your phone, you're, you're constantly searching for service up there, and it's very spotty. Um, and also another thing that people like to do too is they like to go up the down, which is you go up the Yankee, go up the dike. Um, you know, when they get there, they say, well, I just want to make a quick run or I'll do one or two runs. So I'm going to go straight up the mountain. And um, the skin track that we had created off, it's 0.9 miles from the base and it's the metal extension and it is the most efficient way to the summit and it's also just as fast quite frankly i mean you can there's expert skinners and skiers that are in the 20 minute range um people on average you're going to be looking 20 to 45 minutes um you know probably even close to an hour the summit. And I would advise anybody that hasn't been there just to, to start off with the Yankee. Um, get to know the get to know the surroundings. Ski the Yankee. The Yankee is equivalent to to a blue square um, with backcountry conditions. That's pretty clean, but there's it's thickly settled. Um, you know, take a look around and then just be cautious before you, you know you drop in the lift line. Lift line. Um, steep it's got a few good steep pitches um but it's also extremely wind blown and you don't know that until you drop over um there's a few rocks there that are kind of always exposed even after a storm um and yeah uh most certainly go with somebody else um i think it's also it's a good idea too to just have a 
have a small first aid kit. Um, it doesn't have to be anything extreme, but it can be something. Um, I'll have a down jacket in case you do get hurt. Um, you know, you're just the way that your body reacts. You wanna, you wanna be able to keep warm. Um, and in today's day, I mean, they're less than a pound. Uh, they're they're probably a half a pound and. Um, there's a lot of minimal, minimalist people out there, but they're, they're, they're pushing the edge and uh, it's just, it's certainly not worth it. And bring a whistle. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a whistle can go a long way, um, especially on the side of that mountain. I mean, I think the village across, if you, if you were blowing a whistle, I think people in Appenwald would, um, would potentially hear you. But yeah, stay with the uphill, stay meadow extension on the up, start with the Yankee get to know the mountain. And then from there, you'll see where other people are going and, and most certainly stay on, stay on the trails um, because the cell phone service is, is very spotty and um, a, a rescue operation up there. It could be pretty serious and difficult. It could take some time before somebody knew that you were lost, hurt and to get you off. Yep. Understood. This is good advice. There's also a good one pager I came across on the website. Uh, certainly, I think it was the good advice for 2020, 2021, and uh, beyond the backcountry, you know, um, safety that anyone does the backcountry should take. Shovel, whistle, um, beacon is 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 sort of the next level. But um, it also said peak use, not surprisingly, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays. So maybe those would be days to avoid. Certainly go early or go late, and parking is limited. Um, how many parking spaces are there? I know, uh, Tom, you said that uh, you drive by, uh, you know, a lot and see cars there, but what's uh, the capacity in the parking lot, at least the where uh, it's going to be snow plowed? Um, <clears throat> well, we, we hire a guy to come in and clear about 10 spaces as soon as he can after a snowstorm because that's probably when we get our most usage. Um, and then later on, um, the state will come in and play, pop plow the whole lot. Uh, we, there are, there's enough room there for, you know, 50 or 100. Oh, okay. If we get it all plowed out, but, okay. you know, I mean, there, there's plenty of room if, if we get it plowed. But immediately after a snow, snowstorm, we're looking to get it, you know, home, 10, 15 spaces cleared out right away. Okay. Now, um, Jim, follow-up question on hiking up. Are you talking skinning or snowshoeing in terms of that uh, perhaps potential hour hike for, for you know folks that are new to uphilling or just new to the backcountry? Or was that? Yeah, uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, uh, I think skinning is a little bit more efficient. Those guys will be a little bit faster, um, but you're still within the hour, no matter what. And um, and now that you brought that up, it's um, I, I think it's good for just proper backcountry etiquette. Is the snowshoers stay in the, stay in the snowshoe path? Um, the skinners stay in the skin track. Um, when you start mixing them up, I mean it's faster for a snowshoer to follow a snowshoe path. When the snowshoers get within the skin track it, and, and vice versa, um, it just, it makes an inefficient way to travel. So etiquette's important and that's something that 
that we try to, I don't, I don't, I don't police it so much on the mountains, but it, but it's nice to see snowshoers where they're supposed to be, uh, skiers where they're supposed to be. And, and it makes the pro it just makes it more enjoyable. It makes it more efficient. You use less energy to summit and, um, yeah. Now, in terms of last question, just sort of about basics, um, is the signage on the mount, on the ski, ski area on the mountain, is it fairly easy to navigate for ter terms of just, you know, getting on the right paths and then once you get Absolutely. to... Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Great. Great. Now, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about what, I don't want to look in the crystal ball, but a little bit about the future. I know we mentioned it a few times as we've been talking, but... Um, you know, what does growth look like in terms of whether it's Dash or whether it's at Dutch Hill specifically? Again, um, Bill, thank you for reminding us. It's not just about recreation. There's there's wildlife protection. There's uh, the forest itself, making sure that uh, it's it's um, a healthy forest. And uh, there's there's growth where there needs to be. Um, and we also, I, I don't, I want to make sure I don't let, leave this out, you know, DASH itself, the, the, the group of hikers and skiers, it's not just limited to Dutch Hill. There's also other areas uh, that, that you are, are working on and uh, expanding. So I guess just talk a little bit about, um, yeah, what does growth look like? What is sort of the future, whether it's membership in DASH, whether it's actual projects outside of Dutch Hill or, or whether it's, you know, on mountain at Dutch Hill. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we currently have some long-range plans, Jeff, <laughs> um, <clears throat> that are um, designated for an area that is uh, primarily in the forestry zone. And so we're going to, all the forestry work would have to be completed before we do any work, any work in there. The Forest, the, uh, forest Service is aware that, of what our, we would like to do. But it isn't um, it, it isn't cast and set in stone yet. Um, they they know where we would like to go, and and um, and uh, they basically have said that's one item we've got to kick that can down the road. So we're kind of waiting for. Uh, there's been a forestry contract awarded this uh, past September, um, and the contractor has five years to complete the work. Um, he may complete it much sooner, so um, that might, if he does, that might expedite the timeline on, on those future projects. Um, but we're kind of in a wait and see on that. Um, okay. Um, there was also, again, don't want to miss it, but there's also some work that, Jim, you're doing uh, at Mount Greylock. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's a separate area? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a part of the Thunderbolt Ski Runners, um, another organization similar to Dash. Um, ThunderboltSkiRunners.org, and uh, we pretty much run similar uh, uh, similar clubs as opposed to membership and and donations are really important. Um, bringing tools, putting tools into people's hands, organized work days. Um, so for instance, this year, we've had two organized work days on Mount Greylock. We had the two days consist of, you know, one of the days we'll do the upper bolt 
the Thunderbolt, and we'll do some water bar work. Now, the Thunderbolt gets a lot of traffic, a lot of traffic, a lot of hikers. Um, so we have some water issues up there. So we also try to manage the water, manage the erosion. Um, so then the second day is the lower bolt and um, just kind of any cleanup. But if any, um, I, I would think the best way to access the Thunderbolt is to go to the Greylock Glen and Theo Road. And Theo Road this year, we're actually, we've noticed a huge uptick in people um, doing outdoor recreation. Um, during COVID and uh, the Glen has just been absolutely slammed with people. Um, there's a lot going on. There's there's hiking trails and whatnot, but the, at, at the Theo Road, at Theo Road at the base of the mountain, what we've done is we've moved the Jersey barriers out of the road and created a large parking spot. Um, so any out of towners looking to ski the Thunderbolt, um, I'd advise you to go to Theo Road park there and there's a thunderbolt trail um in the years past it was confusing but we just put um a new sign to eliminate the confusion and to follow south bellows up now the thunderbolt is a downhill only uh ski run and uh south bellows is something that we started to do maybe in the last four or five years for our up track and um a lot more efficient just the thunderbolt is steep and you got to crisscross and back and forth and it's just it's pretty brutal to skin up but we strongly encourage to, to use south bellows and um yeah it, it's a fantastic run it's it's about 2200 vert um when it's good it's great but the one thing uh about the Thunderbolt is that you need a lot of snow. Like you, you can get up, to, you can get up to Dutch Hill, and it's got that old ski resort base where the where the rocks and the stumps are cleaned, um, they're removed, so minimal snow at Dutch. Um, you can pretty you can ski a lot, but when you get up to the Thunderbolt, you need a good one foot of snow. Kind of have that settle in, freeze in, and then another storm then then i would say you're safe to, to ski the thunderbolt thank you that's a good tip and i'm going to read i'm going to listen to that again and make sure i get all that yeah. um yeah, you, can, you can contact me and i can let you know you know i can give you conditions so. absolutely that's that's gonna be another uh one of my ending questions on on both but um uh so one question i had to pose as i was thinking about this and, and tom i'm gonna probably ask maybe you to take the first shot at it but in a so again clearly a lot of uh, interest in backcountry just nationally as uh, whether it's equipment sales or just the conversations that that I'm having we're having now and have had are having all over the place there's an example out in Colorado um, I'm not sure if you've heard of it blue bluebird backcountry and it's a uh, commercial, believe it or not, a commercial backcountry operation and um, about, I don't know, 30 miles outside of Steamboat. And really it's, uh, you know, just, it's rentals, it's guides, it's, you know, learning programs, uh, all human powered and maybe some food trucks and a warming hut, you know. Um, and they did a test run of it last season and now it's the first full season. So, you know, not quite sure what the interest is going to be like, but 
one is assuming that it's going to be it's going to be good, and, and they're going to they're going to probably hit their projections. I'm just curious with that maybe example out there, um, could sort of a a similar model. And again, I'm just thinking about the future um, uh, maybe of the ski area, and again within the limitations of of the sort of the agreement that Bill's talked about. But is there any feasible kind of notion of something like that happening where you kind of create like the, on the east the, you know a, a place a learning environment where you know some of the equipments on mountain you know some instructors or guides um could help folks kind of get you know acclimated talk a little bit about you know safety and, and certainly exploring the actual terrain you know dutch hill so that you you get to know the trails and is that something that you know the even the local community would be interested in you know sort of more cars more traffic if if something like that again on a much smaller scale that i'm talking about in colorado um is something like that conceivable or is um you know is sort of the model you have now certainly clearing trails making it accessible inviting people to do recreation this recreation safely with groups you know, kind of um, that peer learning model, you know, is, is that sort of you're comfortable at? And I realize that's a loaded question. <laughs> so apologies, but um, just, just curious if there's been any thinking on that level. <laughs> well, who wants to take a stab at that one? I think we could all, probably all or something. Yeah, from a, from a personal standpoint, I'm I'm not tuned into the to the backcountry uh, group like these guys are, but from a personal standpoint, it would have been great like, to have something that I, and maybe even right now I uh, take a shot at it. But I don't know how much of an interest into the backcountry um, group. Yeah, well, it's going to be temporary just because of the pandemic. Is this sort of a temporary? you know, um, aberration, you know, aberration almost. And then people are going to, once they're comfortable again, once we get the numbers down, people will return to lift, serve, skiing. Um, yeah, I, I think there's several factors uh, involved with where backcountry is going. Before, prior to COVID, backcountry skiing was becoming more popular. And it was going at a certain at a, at a rate. I noticed quite a bit of growth. Um, quite actually, uh, you know, I'm an old I'm an ex ski racer and <clears throat> alpine ski coach, <clears throat> and my um, my children uh, Brett, as Jim mentioned, is a good friend of Jim's. Uh, my son Brett, uh, my my other son Aaron, and and Stefan uh, were the ones that got me into backcountry skiing. So, um, uh, you know, it, it was becoming more popular with those in their 20s and, th and 30s and, you know, primarily living out west, but it was also happening in the East Coast. And they kind of <clears throat> got, got me, well, my sons got me interested in it. And, and, uh, and I saw a rise in interest in, in, on the East Coast um, uh, certainly happening. Uh, uh, so COVID kind of accelerated that because um, uh, people are looking for ways to avoid um, uh, large crowded ski areas, makes perfect sense. Um, 
crossing state lines is another issue that we have to pay attention to, but at any rate, um, the backcountry seemed to offer um, uh, a more, more seclusion and still be out enjoying the outdoors and, and that kind of thing. As far as Dutchel being modeled after um, what you described happening in Colorado, um, some things would be possible. Uh, um, I, I, I don't see it as something that could be offered every day, but it's really possible to organize, um, you know, like a, a learn to backcountry ski day where we might get a ski company to send some reps down and some equipment down and, you know, promote it and advertise it and try to try to get new people to come and try backcountry skiing with some, some guides from dash and that kind of kind of thing that that's possible. Um, as far as actually, and, and maybe incorporating the food trucks as you know, in the parking lot, that's possible. But as far as uh, having a, a a structure on Dutch Hill. Um, I've had conversations with the um, uh, with the recreational uh, manager from the Forest Service, and that's probably not going to be possible. Uh, that becomes uh, a maintenance issue for the Forest Service, and they are, believe it or not, they're strapped for funding. Is just like any you know. I mean, it, it might ebb and flow, but right now they don't have the funds available. That's one of the reasons that we're kind of doing the work is they don't have they don't have the the, the manpower to do any work on Dutch Hill. They can't they couldn't afford to put a staff there to do the work that we're doing. So I don't see a structure happening. But um, uh, the other aspects of it, I think, are possible to some degree. Do you have anything to add on that? Uh, not to put you on the spot, but uh, you know, one can dream. <laughs> and if not, that's um, <laughs> no. I, I think um, I think more along the lines, we would probably go as far as is guided tours. You know, something that similar that Dash has done in the past, and maybe more people will uh, will join those tours. Um, on the website, you'll see that there's um, there's guided tours for women, there's beginner to intermediate, there's advanced. Um, and then also speaking from the Thunderbolt, we, uh, we had done a race for quite a few years, uh, the Thunderbolt ski run. And the, the original Thunderbolt ski runners, they had gotten out of the race because it was a lot of work and we have a lot of inconsistency with the snow. It's a lot of work to, to not be able to put on the race. Mm -hmm. um, and so in those, in those years of what we've done is we've just done the, th the Thunderbolt fun run and a group of us would get together and as opposed to the race, uh, we would pick a day, we would all meet up and, you know, kind of do a big game of leapfrog and uh, it, it was quite fun. So maybe years down the road, we'll, we'll do something like that. But, um, but yeah, that's, that, that's pretty much it really.
No, I love it. I, I, I know the leapfrog from a, a, a trail race I did, uh, the Ragnar uh, Trail up in uh, Mount Scutney uh, over the summer. So different concept entirely, but or similar concept, but different, uh, different activity yeah. entirely. Um, well, this is great. I'm glad we, we kind of um, we explored some different territory there. Uh, before we uh, go into our little fun, quick trivia game round, I just wanted to uh, ask one final question. How can listeners support Dash uh, and Dutch Hill this winter and in uh, future winters, or summers, summers or winters. Uh, please become a member of the Catamount Trail Association, and uh, and in doing that, uh, um, uh, check off uh, the box for joining the Dash chapter, and that would that would uh, certainly help us financially. Uh, uh, it's not a it's not a huge membership fee. I, I it's I think it's in the neighborhood of forty dollars for an individual, and maybe fifty or sixty dollars for a family. And uh, you know, Dash, as you mentioned earlier, Jeff, Dash gets a portion of the, of those funds, and that's what we use towards plowing and purchasing tools and uh, and um, you know buying uh, purchasing gasoline for you know chainsaw mix, etc. So. Yeah, that that would be a, a great way to to help us out. And uh, for the latest conditions or snow report, other than contacting Jim directly, uh, should we just visit the website? Keep a good eye on the weather in the area. Yeah, if it's snowing hard at your house, it's probably snowing up there. <laughs> oh yeah. No question, at least for my uh, my location. No, no question. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, for 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 that conversation. Uh, I'm certainly excited to uh, to check it out, uh, check check that chill out, and hopefully be able to have an opportunity to do that this winter. Fingers crossed. Uh, hoping for that. Um, so we're gonna do a quick uh, quick trivia game if if you gentlemen are are up for it, and then I'm gonna let you go, get back to your day. But it wouldn't be a Powderhounds podcast without one. So uh, I have a feeling Tom might do very well at this, but um, who knows? Maybe we'll uh, maybe you all will do equally well. Um, so really, I have about a handful of questions, and um, it's they're open ended. So whoever um, has an answer, just just jump on in and throw it out there. And um, the content for the trivia game that uh, we're going to about to play is uh, from the New England Lost Ski Area Project. And I know you gentlemen are familiar with that. Uh, listeners are also, I've, most of my trivia comes from, from that, uh, that source, uh, Jeremy and uh, the folks that work with him. So, um, so you, you guys will be the judge if, if, if something's not right. <laughs> but um, this will be quick and uh, hopefully a little bit of a little bit of fun. First question: In 1977, the owners renamed Dutch Hill to what? Dutch Mountain. Tom, first one. That's right. That's right. Dutch Mountain. In 1977, they were hoping to um, better compete with. Um, Mount Snow, Jiminy Peak, and Brody uh, by sounding a little bit bigger. So there you go. Well, but Tom, you're on the board. Uh, second, <laughs> second question. Um, I think we actually covered this, but we didn't get to the reason. Dutch Hill was named after the Dutch farmers who settled the area in the 1700s. Why did they choose Dutch Hill and that higher elevation? To avoid disease. Ah, Bill's on the board. That's correct. 
They were hoping to avoid malaria, which I guess prevailed at the lower elevations. So uh, there you go. Well done. See, it is, it's sort of the lightning round. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, what year, and this isn't uh, Price is Right, you can go over. What year did Dutch Hill offer free skiing on Tuesdays for high school students? All through the 50s and 60s, probably into the 70s. I'm looking for one year where they oh, first one year where they first did it. Oh, everyone, everyone throw out a year, and then I'll whoever's closest will, will get it. Fifty-eight. All right. Fifty-one. No. Fifty-four. Tom got it. He, Tom was the closest. It was actually 1947. Wow. wow. But Tom got it. So uh, thank you. Uh, well done. All right, moving on. Only a couple more, and then uh, I promise you will be free to your the rest of your day. In 1947, also in 47, visitors started arriving from far off places. What southern state brought three visitors by plane? Again, 1947. What southern state brought three skiers to Dutch Hill in the 1947? Hmm. Everyone throw it. Florida. That's right. <laughs> uh, can't All beat right. These historians. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. He, Tom's got a little bit of a, uh, a <laughs> here, but uh, nailed it. Um, all right, redemption time. In 1951, what modes modes of public transportation brought waves of skiers to Dutch Hill? So, 1951, what two transportation Public, transport, public transportation modes brought people to Dutch Hill. Trains and buses. All right, Bill, there you go. That was quick. That's right. The ski train from North Adams uh, would, would, would bring skiers to North Adams, and they'd be bussed the, uh, you know, a couple miles uh, to Dutch Hill. So, and I guess that same year, 1951, Dutch Hill was proclaimed one of the best ski areas in New England. Okay. All right. Final question, but there is um, six answers. So, Jim, you are you're primed for this one. Here we go. Besides the ski area named Dutch Hill, what other parts of the ski area had the word Dutch in its name? Now, as far as I could tell, there were five answers. So, Dutch being in the name of uh, the meadows. That's one meadows. Dutch Meadows. Dutchman's Holiday. Dutchman. Okay, Tom's got the holiday, and I think I heard uh, Bill say Dutch one. Street. Yep. Yeah. Dutch, Dutch, Dutch Treat. Dutch Treat. No, Dutch. Yeah, yep, but uh, Bill got that before you, but I think you were about to say a different one. There's two left. Dutch Boot. Dutch, Dutch Boot. Yep. I think we got them. You guys cleared that real quick. You got them all? Did someone say there's two trails, right? I don't know if you, both of them were said, but. Yeah, yeah. But looking at the, uh, the total here, I'm sorry to say, or no, I'm proud to say, Tom, the local historian, has won the trivia game. <laughs> <laughs> Jim and I were at a disadvantage there. <laughs> no, no question. You had a head start, but hey, you know what? Uh, we're, uh, we're just having fun on, on this yeah. episode and that segment. So. Again, um, thank you for playing and indulging me. 
Um, thank you so much for taking the time today to have this conversation and uh, really um, make sure folks know uh, if they're about to do some backcountry, you know, skiing or riding or hiking, they know they have a, a great option. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to get to it this year um, and certainly in future years uh, for sure. And um, I guess I'm going to call is this, even though Dutch Hill is human powered, I'm going to call this last question, last chair. Is there anything else, gentlemen, that you'd like to add about Dash or Dutch Hill or other projects you're working on that we haven't, I haven't asked about or we have not covered? This is your chance. Final thoughts. I'd like to add one, one thing that we didn't really discuss. And, and uh, uh, as, as was previously mentioned, uh, both Tom and I grew up skiing at Dutch Hill. Um, and... <clears throat> Uh, again, this is post-World War II. Um, uh, baby boomer generation, which we were a part of. Uh, if you weren't bouncing a basketball, you were probably skiing at Dutch Hill. Or, uh, there were, long story short, there were a lot of kids skiing at Dutch Hill uh, in the 50s and 60s. And um, we, had, we, were, we had the good fortune of having um, uh, kind of watching over us, um, former members of the 10th Mountain Division who were on the ski patrol. Not They weren't all uh, 10th Mountain people, but quite a few of them were. And um, uh, kids being kids, we would often uh, push the limits and uh, we would see those gentlemen, um, you know, watching over us, keeping an eye on us. Um, uh, when we sort of stretched the boundaries, they reeled us in pretty quickly, um, and uh, we responded uh, to them. They were all great skiers, and uh, they wanted us uh, to become good skiers. So they um, they gave us some rope, but they also kept an eye on us. And uh, uh, I often feel when we're working on Dutch Hill or we're thinking about a project, I I can still in my mind's eye envision them and they're all gone now for them for them i'm pretty sure they're all gone uh they're still keeping a watchful eye on what's happening at dutch hill and uh you know it's with gratitude that um they created that that mountain to ski on in, in uh in the 1940s and uh um and it uh, gave us something to work with today so we're we're, uh, I'm continually grateful for, for that guidance early on and still today. Thank you for sharing that. And they're, uh, I think Dutch Hill's in pretty good hands. So um, that, that's, that's really great. Tom, uh, Jim, anything to add, final thoughts? Yeah. Um, no, well, go ahead, Jim. Uh, I just wanna just kind of get out there the importance just to donate to your local organization, you know, whether it be Rasta, whether it be Dutch, whether it be the Thunderbolt ski runners. Um, there's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes uh, that, that most people don't know about. And um, a little bit of money goes a long way. Um, the second thing is, so just, or actually just on the first thing, um, you can Google Dash, you can go to the CTA website, uh, please become a member. Also with the Thunderbolt ski runners, um, please donate. And next year, uh, please, you know, sign up, become a volunteer. And when you do volunteer, it's more than just volunteering your time. It's, it's also getting a little bit of local knowledge. Um, 
typically what you'll do is we'll set off the different work parties and you'll have somebody who really knows the mountain and and those who volunteer one or two or three times you know they they get to know the goods they know when to go where to go um so it goes a long way um second i just like to do is just a uh, proper etiquette um skiers you know stay in the skin track booters um and, and I think it's great. I don't, I don't judge. I just, I'm an advocate for people just to get out there and enjoy the mountain. I don't care if you're booting, you're skiing, you're snowshoeing. Um, just kind of stay, stay within your tracks. Um, don't boot up the middle of the slope, you know, stay on the side of the slope. Um, and then also, you know, the third thing is, is that just being out there on the trail days, as I see, even just like with the Thunderbolt, I see a lot of people out there and they're all scouting lines is you really have to take into consideration as risk management. Um, in the years past, I mean, even just having uh, the people that are going to come and respond to these um, typically are local fire departments and, and things like that. And, and, and they're good and they'll get you off the mountain but it's gonna take some time. And then especially with COVID going on, um, I think risk management is big this year. We're gonna see a lot of new people. There's gonna be a lot of people who know how to ski downhill in a resort. But when you get into the back country, you have a lot of variable snow conditions. Um, and it's easy for a ski to tuck underneath the snow. I mean, it only takes a quarter inch of crust for your skis to shoot both ways. Um, and yeah, so risk management, take it easy, make it off the mountain. Um, don't, don't, uh, don't be a minimalist. I know a lot of people don't like to, you know, bring extra water or, you know, have an extra coat in case something happens, you know, bring a whistle. But yeah, so those are the three things is donate, um, proper etiquette, and then risk management. And, uh, you know, with you taking risk, taking risks out on the mountain, you're also this year, you're, you're putting others at risk, the people that are rescuing you. Um, so just please take that into consideration. Thank you. Well said. Trivia champion, Tom, any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, I, I just wanted to echo what Bill said, because that was going to be, my focus with 10th Mountain Division that these guys, um, you know, built the place, set the tone, and um, really set a great example for all us kids growing up. And, and as Bill said, every kid in town was at Dutch Hill over the weekend, every weekend. And two people, especially Webb Obman and Madeline Mulroney, um, who... Madeline Monroney Ottman um, were responsible from the very beginning until 1968 when they retired. Uh, Madeline oh, actually designed. I love it. The logo. My daughter gave me that for Christmas a couple of years ago, um, but she designed the logo. Um, and she was a publicity director for 20 years or so and got the word out and uh, made Dutch Hill what it was, famous. That's great. I'll leave it at that. 
That's great. Thank you so much for sharing and showing off that. Now, can uh, can those shirts be purchased, or is that a one-time uh, special? Uh... I don't. My, my daughter bought it online okay. uh, for Christmas for me one year. I think I think you can though. We're we're working on a we're working on a a, a dash t-shirt shirt design that will be able to be purchased hopefully in the next year or so. I will remain on the lookout. That is that is great. Um, the Thunderbolt ski runners have a lot of merchandise. As you see in the back, we have these fluorescent orange trail building shirts. We have long sleeve uh, poly shirts, and then when you become a member, you get a letter, you get a sticker. Uh, reoccurring members typically get fit. We'll send them patches. Um, so a lot of good memorabilia. All right, the swag is there, everybody. Listeners, listen up. Check them out. Check your uh, your local. Uh, backcountry uh, areas, your nonprofits, your, uh, your your trail networks. Uh, they they need your donations. They need your uh, your people power, your uh, your time, and uh, we'll hopefully have many 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 great winters ahead. And uh, actually, all seasons. Uh, the trails are all seasons. Uh, thank you again uh, for uh, my guests today, Bill, Jim, and Tom. Uh, follow Dutch Hill and Dash www dhash4vt.org. Again, that's www.-4vermont, vt for vermontorg Also, email Diana Todd at info at dash4vt.org for specific questions. And thank you again, Diana, if you are listening, when you are listening, for connecting me with this uh, just great panel today. We will leave it there. Thank you very much. Have a great thank day. Thank you, Jeff. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I certainly did. One quick note about the final trivia question. In all the rapid-fire answers, I inadvertently missed one of the answers. In addition to the Dutch boot, the name of the base lodge, the Dutch treat, the cafeteria at the base of Dutch Meadows Ski Trail, Dutch Meadows Ski Trail, Dutchman's Holiday Ski Trail, the Dutch oven was a ski shop, first aid station, and restroom on property, and was the fifth and final answer of the last trivia question. We strive for accuracy here at the Powderhounds podcast. Looks like it's four o'clock. Time to catch the last chair. Thank you to my guests, Bill Beatty, Tom Boudreau, and Jim Moulton, Dutch Hill Association of Skiers and Hikers. Thank you to my listeners. Follow me on Twitter at Powderhound Skis, or better yet, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts Manager, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just type Powderhound Podcast. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds.